Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today we begin a brand new series from Dr. Newfeld, focusing on the book of Daniel, and it's entitled, Singing the Lord's Song in a Strange Land. Today we'll begin an introduction to Daniel using various verses from the book of Daniel. Let's join Dr. Newfeld now. Some things change everything. You know, after we've experienced them, we're never the same again. We'll never again be able to go back to the old way of seeing things. Life cannot go on as before. Now, when a young couple gets married, that's what they're banking on. Someone comes to Christ. It's a wonderful change. Things will never be the same as it was before, and we're pleased. But sometimes, a life-changing experience happens through tragedy. You know, I think of a young man that I know who in a moment of inattention had a motor vehicle accident and was paralyzed. He never could go back to how it was just the moment before his accident. The road back is forever blocked. One moment he was a handsome, vibrant man who had the world by the tail. And the next moment he was trapped in a wheelchair needing others to care for him. He could never have what he once had. I also know of a woman whose husband died suddenly, leaving her a widow, a single mom, struggling to find a job to support her. Suddenly, everything had changed. Something like that happened to Israel as a nation in 605 BC. Despite decades and even centuries of warnings from prophets like Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah, life in Jerusalem remained somewhat the same. That life-changing event had not yet occurred, but then it did. Listen to how the history of Israel reads from 2 Chronicles 36, 15-16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. You know, then came the year 605 B.C. A foreign king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, son of Nebopolazar, sent his army against Jerusalem. He was the king of Babylon, the ancient city that was located in what is now the, the present-day nation of Iraq. The king in Jerusalem at that time was a man by the name of Jehoiakim. Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem with his army, besieged it until Jerusalem surrendered. He then robbed the city, the royal palace, and the temple of some of the treasures and carried King Jehoiakim off to Babylon as his prisoner and put his own puppet, a man named Jehoiakim, in place after him. He carried away to Babylon the brightest and the best of the young men who would now serve his empire and not the people of Israel. Daniel was among this first group of captives. Nebuchadnezzar also destroyed many of the Jewish towns around Jerusalem, so only the city of Jerusalem was left. And Daniel 1, verses 1 to 2, describes the scene. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Jerusalem and its citizens were devastated. It seemed like their nation would never be the same after this humiliating defeat, after their loss of the best members of the society, and the most important of all, after the desecration of the house of God. Now, prior to this, they had always felt that since the temple was the house of God, no foreigner would ever be allowed to attack it. They must have wondered what kind of God they had. How could God allow that? 
And as for this bright young man, Daniel, with a world of opportunities before him, his life was forever changed. He would never see Israel again. Rather than the elite of his culture, he was to become a foreign captive. Then we come to the second major event, which happened in in 597 BC. This happened only eight years later. 2 Kings 24, 10-14 describes what happened. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it, and Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. Nothing remained except the poorest people of the land. So now the temple was robbed of all of its treasures. There was still the glorious house of God in the center of the city, but it was only a large building that was but a shell of its former glory. All the best leaders were gone. The city seemed empty, and the people with no leadership skills were leading. The third devastating event happened in 587 BC, 11 years after the second event. Zedekiah, the last king in Jerusalem, was about to witness the total destruction of his nation. It's found in 2 Kings 25, 1-11. It reads, And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. They built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls by the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were around the city. And they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. And they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month of the seventh day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. Now these three events, three savage attacks against Jerusalem, changed Israel and all its people in a way that all the prophets were unable to, even though the prophets had predicted this. And after this, there was no road back. Life would never be the same again. Life that began with joy would now only know sadness. The book of Lamentations tells the story of how terrible this was for anyone unfortunate enough to have lived in this time. It begins by saying, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. 
how like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. See, from the viewpoint of a human observer, it must now have seemed that the religion of the Hebrews had been completely discredited. Their God, Yahweh, the Lord, had apparently shown himself inferior to the gods of Babylon, to, to Baal, Nebu, and Marduk. On top of that, Babylon was a city that made Jerusalem appear to be no more than a backwoods small town. I mean, the walls around the city of Babylon may have been 200 feet high and 87 feet thick. What was Jerusalem in comparison to this great city? Jerusalem must have seemed like a small hick town next to this big and beautiful pagan city. To be in exile in Babylon was to be humiliated beyond words. In spite of all the great things that God had done against the Egyptians, and and in spite of the miracles that God had done through the prophets like Elijah, in spite of how God had defeated the Assyrian army at the time of King Hezekiah, and in spite of all the scriptures taught of the greatness of their God, nothing prevented the Babylonians from destroying them. The Babylonians were unstoppable. Psalm 137 says, By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept, when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there are captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You can hear the the sarcasm in that. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Here's the response. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I hope you hear this question. Is it really possible to sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Is it really possible to sing when you're defeated and humiliated? We've begun a new series, and in these next several weeks, we're going to learn how to sing, how to celebrate and have victory when the culture around us views us as a defeated and a humiliated people. In these next few weeks, we're going to learn how to live well and fill our hearts with songs in a foreign land. How do we celebrate? How do we claim victory in a culture that opposes so much of who we are as God's people? Well, we begin a great journey today in the book of Daniel. Just a reminder that we're making our newest highlight reel series, Being the People of God, available for free this month on CD. So make sure to ask for your five-message series today by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or emailing your request to info at backtothebible.ca. Remember, it's our gift to you. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. Let me ask you some questions. If you've lost everything, can you still sing? If you live in a society that, that mocks your values and spits on everything that you think is holy, can you still sing? If it looks like the power of the nation you live in is so much greater than the power of the gospel, can you still sing? Doesn't singing the Lord's song sound hollow after your sins have been exposed and you have been defeated? See, this question is by no means insignificant. I hear many Christians afraid of the the kind of world we're living in. We wonder about the kind of an educational system that we have for our students today. We wonder about the values our kids might adopt. We wonder about a society in which drugs are everywhere. 
We wonder about how our morals relate to a society that has more explicit and unclean sex than our forefathers could ever have imagined. We wonder about a world where songs of God are considered to be out of place and songs of evil are considered as normal. We wonder about what values we ourselves have begun to adopt. And behind all of this, we hear our tormentors say, sing us one of those songs about Zion. I'm afraid that some of us have hung up our harps. Our heads are bowed in defeat. We're afraid to mention that we are Christians when we're in public. Let's not look extreme, we say. Let's not praise our God too loudly. We might look foolish. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The nice thing about the book of Daniel is that it teaches you how to live in a society that does not honor God. See, Daniel is relevant to Christians who live in Canada today or in any other country. Daniel gives us at least four lessons on how to sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Lesson number one, God rules over all the earth. It really doesn't matter where you live. God is still king. It really doesn't matter if you're in church or on the job or in school. God is still king. Whether you live in Jerusalem or Babylon does not change a thing. God is absolutely in charge. See, that theme runs throughout this book, and that all the fortunes of kings and magistrates and astrologers and of common people are all subject to God's decrees. And God always, always, always accomplishes his objectives, even if he must perform miracles to have his way. So in chapter 1, Daniel and his three friends refuse to defile themselves with non-kosher food, and God blesses them. In chapter 2, all the astrologers can't interpret the king's dream, but Daniel, by the help of his God, can do what they can't do. In chapter 3, Daniel's three friends refuse to bow before a pagan altar, and God miraculously delivers them from death. In chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar refuses to acknowledge the mighty power of Daniel's God, and God strikes him with madness until he is humiliated and humbled. He's finally forced to admit that God's dominion is eternal and that his is temporal. In chapter 5, King Belshazzar is told because of his arrogance, God is about to end his empire and his kingdom ends that very night. And in chapter 6, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and God rescues him from death. God is God over Babylon. Your God is not just the God who reveals himself on Sunday. He's the God who reveals himself on Monday. Your God is not just the God of the day. He's the God of the night. Your God is not just God when everything is fine and when you're healthy and when your bank account is in order. Your God is God over the darkness and the sickness and the pain and the distress. Jesus is Lord over Canada or whatever nation you're in, regardless of what the polls say or what government is elected in office or what piece of legislation is passed in Ottawa or whatever capital you have. God is God over Jerusalem and he is God over Babylon. Now let's look at the second lesson that teaches us why we can sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Lesson number two, there is a great and mighty power in prayer. If there's anything that the book of Daniel teaches us, it is what can happen when godly men and women pray. 
In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel and his three friends are about to be executed. In fact, all of Daniel 9 is a prayer to God from Daniel and God's answer to him. Now, we're not going to deal with Daniel 9 in this series, but in Daniel 9, Daniel has come to understand a bit of prophecy from the book of Jeremiah. See, Jeremiah prophesied that the captivity of Israel would last 70 years. At the time Daniel read this, this event was still 18 years away. But Daniel did not approach prophecy by holding seminars, but by by praying. He realized that the people of God were not spiritually ready for this event. God's people were covered with the, the shame of sin. His response was to pray that God would be true to his word in spite of the faithlessness of the people of God. And here's the principle. Godly people take every opportunity to pray. You know, I once heard a critic of first world Christianity say, you know, I'm amazed at what you folks can accomplish without prayer. I mean, you build buildings and you offer training programs and and you follow other programs that, that make your churches grow. But what have we accomplished in all of this? Are we seeing a revival in the land? Are people falling under the mighty power of the living God? If we grow large churches, but the hearts of men and women are not moved toward God in righteousness, we're not actually accomplishing anything at all. So how could we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We can sing because our God reigns. He's not just God of Jerusalem. He's God of Babylon. We can sing because God responds to our prayers. There is a third lesson we can learn from this book. It also teaches us why we can sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Lesson number three is this. We can get a picture of God's long-term view of redemption. The book of Daniel is easily divided into two halves. The first six chapters are historical events that happened to Daniel in and around Babylon. But in chapters 7 to 12, the book contains a somewhat detailed map of God's plan for the ages. Daniel predicted the coming of the Persian Empire following the collapse of the Babylonian Empire. He then predicted the rise of Alexander the Great, his short life, and how his empire would be split in four after his death. Next, he predicted the rise of Rome. He predicted the exact year of Christ's appearance and the beginning of his public ministry. He predicted the week of Christ's death. Finally, Daniel saw through to the end of this world and saw the coming of a world leader who would exalt and magnify himself above every religious system and would say unheard of blasphemies against the one true God. He saw the coming of a great tribulation and the certainty of great suffering. But he was not dismayed, for he also saw that this final great and evil empire would fall like everyone before it. Only this one would be replaced by the empire of the sovereign God. But even though in this study we will not undertake a study of the last six chapters, I'm going to leave that to a later date. And yet, I note that you can journey to Jerusalem today, but Babylon, that great and mighty city, now lies in ruins. And what does that tell us? The future belongs to Jerusalem and not to Babylon. Babylon is passing away. The future belongs to the Lord who controls all things. We need not hang up our harps on the willows. We should sing with boldness, for the future belongs to us and to our God. Let me put it this way. One of the reasons why so many of us become so easily distressed by life circumstances is that we believe that many things are out of order. But hear me, our God is in control. 
So we can sing the Lord's song in a strange land because God is sovereign, because there's power in prayer, and because God is working out his purposes and nothing can stop him. But there's a fourth and very powerful reason that we can sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Lesson number four is this. God is gracious and compassionate to his people. We need to be clear about the reason why Israel was in Babylon. They had sinned. God had sent them prophets, but they ignored his message. The sins of Israel were many. The chief sin was idolatry, and after that, they refused to take care of the poor. They were the sins of violence and greed, and they took every occasion to break the Sabbath and ignored all the rules of the Lord. You know, it's easy to see that the destruction of the city of Jerusalem was due to God's punishment. God is a God of justice. Now, if God can still lay claim to Israel after her idolatry, he can lay claim to you. For those of us who are in Christ, Christ has borne our punishment. For those who have never repented of their sins, you can come to Christ today. But here's what I know for certain. If your harp is hanging in a tree, join me in this study as we learn to sing the Lord's song in a strange land. John, thanks so much for this great introduction. We look forward to all that you have to share about Daniel and and his incredible life uh, with us in the days to come. One of the things that came to mind, though, as you were chatting was, you know, why are we fearful uh, in this land of Canada uh, to engage the culture? What makes us too fearful to say, hey, we want to stand out as being God's people? Yeah, I can see all sorts of uh, reasons to think that we are fearful. Um, I think that uh, often I've noticed a uh, couple sitting together talking about the Lord in a restaurant. The waitress shows up and people start talking intuitively as if the presence of somebody who doesn't share our faith intimidates us or even gets us to stop talking about the Lord. I mean, there are numerous examples of, of uh, why it's difficult for a university student maybe to speak up in class or, you know, maybe on a job site to talk about what God is doing. We are intimidated at a number of levels. Your question is why, however. And I think it might be the same reason why the people in in Israel had a problem with speaking out for God when they were taken captive. It seems to many of us that the culture around us is more powerful than the Lord our God. And I think what we need to do, Ben, is to recapture this idea that, in fact, God controls the kingdoms of this earth. He controls this nation. He controls the government, the press. He controls everything that there is. And we belong to the one who is more powerful than all. Believe that. And uh, I think the intimidation begins to fade away. Now, there's a great word to live by. Thanks so much, John. And join us again tomorrow for Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. July is one of those months where many of us take the time to relax, sit back a bit, try and interrupt the normal busyness of life with some recreation. Well, recreation is important, especially if it's with family and loved ones. So make sure to take some time to get away. And maybe one of the things you might want to do is catch up on listening to a Bible teaching series from Dr. John Newfeld. You can with the convenience of signing up for our podcast or downloading our mobile app at the Apple or Google Play Store. But amidst the recreation and catching up, please remember to send in your donation to support the ministry during these summer months. Often in July and August, we experience a dip in giving, which can cause some challenges going into the fall. 
So give us a call with your gift, would you? At 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.